The cancer journey is unique for everyone. It's time to figure out our new normal, and there's no one-size-fits-all manual. Welcome to Unspoken Cancer Truths with Jen Cochran, because surviving is just the beginning. Welcome to episode 30 of Unspoken Cancer Truths. I'm your host, Jen Cochran. My guest today is Katie Pitzinger. Katie's breast cancer story started at the age of 35, just three months after her son was born. We've had so many young survivors on the podcast, and so often as quote-unquote young people, getting diagnosed is difficult. I'm really looking forward to Katie sharing her story with you today. Hi, Katie. Welcome. I'm so excited to have you here today to share your story. So often as I'm talking with people outside of this realm, I describe the podcast as people sharing their stories start to present. And because it's never really finished, our stories continue to evolve. So I would love for you to just jump in and share your story. Sure. So I was diagnosed at age 35. Um, I had my son, who is now three years old, in May of 2016. And since he was such a big baby, I could not keep up with uh, his breastfeeding. And so I decided to move him to formula. At that same time that I moved him to formula, I was due for my annual mammogram, which is just a random one-off story because I was only 35. I was not uh, recommended to get mammograms. However, uh, my primary care doctor wrote for them every year and my insurance paid for them because my paternal grandmother had breast cancer when she was in her 90s. So my insurance considered that a family history and I got annual mammograms. So it was Columbus Day. Uh, I worked for the state government and I had a holiday and he had Andrew, my son, not been breastfeeding for six weeks so I could go get my mammogram. I popped in um, thinking no biggie. I was going to go in, get it and just check one box off my list. The next day I got a call back. Um, They had seen something and then fast forward that Friday I had a biopsy. The radiologist that I met with Uh, before I even had the biopsy, told me, you have cancer. So my husband and I had gone together, and I can just remember being in that room and the fear that came up, you know, when she said that. So, of course, I was crying hysterically. And then um, those of you who have had breast biopsies know that you're on a table in a very uncomfortable position. Um, and she just kept saying, you know, it's okay, calm down, because she had to get the biopsy done. Um, but I was crying hysterically. So I believe it, you know, it took a couple days for the test results to come back and they classified it as DCIS, which is ductal carcinoma in, in situ. I think I'm saying that right. Um, And I then called multiple providers to get appointments. I ended up getting multiple appointments with providers, but my first one was at Johns Hopkins. Uh, My best friend 
is a nurse at Johns Hopkins, the Bayview location. And so I went there and immediately knew that that was going to be my team. I didn't even need to meet with any of the other doctors. And I can tell you, I've probably met, I want to say about eight oncologists because I can get to that later, but I think you really want to make sure that you have all the correct information. Um, I had Dr. Habibi at Bayview. He was my breast surgeon, um, and he was a man that he just knew what he was doing and was super confident. Um, and then my plastic surgeon was Dr. Kristen Broderick, who is a simply amazing human being, and she is a mom of two young children, and every time you see her, she hugs you. She knows your story, and she, I, as she says, you know, I will be with her with, for the rest of my life. And then I've been through multiple oncologists at Hopkins because they keep moving to other countries, but that's okay <laughs> to go to other Hopkins locations. Um, so I immediately knew as soon as they told me, the radiologist told me that I had cancer. I had no doubt in my mind that I was going to get a bilateral mastectomy to the point that there was no decision. There was no talking about it. There was, if somebody was going to convince me otherwise, I was going to fight tooth and nail to get a bilateral mastectomy. I had just had my second child. We had no plans to have any other children. So I was very lucky in the fact that I didn't have to make decisions about egg freezing and, um, you know, what if I wanted to have another baby? I just knew what my decisions were going to be. Um, so that made that part of the journey very easy. So from my first appointment to surgery date was about three weeks. I had my surgery at Hopkins. I had a bilateral mastectomy with tissue expanders and had limited complications really um i followed all the rules i did get pneumonia while i was recovering and then once i went back to work i got shingles um, so that was fun um, but thankfully the skin was numb <laughs> from it where the shingles was and then uh i had my tissues expanders in for about a year because i really was trying to have some normalcy with my kids. And so I didn't want to have another surgery and another recovery. So, and summer is the favorite time of the year for me. So I didn't want to do it during the summer. I was not going to be, you know, I just wanted to be normal in the summer. So then I had my implant exchange a year later, the next October of 2017. I immediately following my mastectomy, I started on tamoxifen. I was on tamoxifen for a little over a year, I believe. And then following some issues with my liver enzymes and fatty liver, I consulted with a liver specialist. I don't remember what kind of doctor that is at Hopkins as well. And um, I was switched to uh, Zolodex and Letrozole. So I've been on Zolodex, Zolodex and Letrozole for about three years. No, two years, two years, year and a half. 
I feel pretty okay on those medications. In the summer, I have lots of joint pain and stiffness. Um, I am always hot. So I, I don't typically have hot flashes, but I'm just always hot. I never thought I would wear a sweater again. <laughs> right. Um, so I, uh, let's see. And then in February of 19, I had fat grafting and liposuction to assist with the appearance of my implants. I now am followed by an oncologist out of Philadelphia. She was originally in Pittsburgh. I was diagnosed, oh, this is important. Um, I was diagnosed eventually with stage one invasive lobular carcinoma. So um, the whoever the people are that read the slides um, actually went through my slides a second time and only then did they find the cancer. So I had DCIS, ductal carcinoma in situ. I had lobular carcinoma in situ. And then I had a 0.4 millimeter tumor. So the ongoing joke in my house and with my doctors sometimes is that I had a tiny tumor, <laughs> a very tiny tumor. And uh, one of my oncologists at Hopkins, she's always like, your tiny tumor. I'm like, yeah, still a tumor, tiny or not still a tumor. So, you know, it's just like the chain of events just all happened in such a way that I am, I believe, very blessed to have found it. If I would have never found any lobular carcinoma is very, it's called the sneaky one. It doesn't form lumps. So um, the fact that it was found at that such an early time is just a chain of events that you can't really expect to happen. Absolutely. So interesting, too, that your doctor wanted you to have the mammogram at really what would be considered such a young age because of a family member who was at such an elevated age, because that's just very interesting. So I think meant to be. Right, right. For sure. Yeah. And I like to think about my grandmother. She was very close to me. She was very special to me. And I'm like, well, she just had something to do with that. You know, that's my belief. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I really want to hear more about your clarity around choosing a bilateral. Because I was very clear, but I had a lot of information. So I'm really curious uh, to learn more about your story in that regard. So when stay with us. We're going to be right back. Hi, Jen here. I hope you're enjoying the show. When I finished treatment, I discovered survivorship was way more challenging than I ever expected it to be. There are a lot of things no one prepares you for. I attended one support group meeting and knew that was not for me. The more people I talked with, the more I realized I was not alone. This podcast is a forum for people to share their cancer stories from start to present. 
And my Facebook group is a gathering space for people to find positive inspiration on the not so positive days. In a community of people who understand the challenges of this journey. So come on over and join the Facebook group, Surviving is Just the Beginning. And be part of the conversation. When you see the question, how did you hear about us? Be sure to mention this podcast episode. I look forward to seeing you there. Welcome back. I'm here with Katie. And we are talking about her experience with breast cancer. And there were so many interesting things. Uh, Being a breast cancer survivor and having talked to lots of different survivors along this journey, it's really interesting to me, like their interactions with their medical professionals and with other humans in general, because that really spans the gamut of experiences. So I thought it was really interesting about how direct your radiologist was right up front before even doing the biopsy. And when I had my ultrasound done, the radiologist was really clear, like she was explaining what she was seeing. And because of how the manner in which she was explaining what she was seeing, I knew that it was potentially cancer. And I knew that she was concerned. And it was interesting because what she said to me was, because of your age, and I was 43, because of your age, this could be aggressive. And these are the next steps. And I don't want you to wait. And I think they're so used to seeing people wait and not necessarily be willing to hear where this experience is taking them, especially at young ages. So I'd love to know your experience with that. Yeah. I mean, I, like I said, I really appreciated her directness because I think once you hear it, it, it helps that reality based thinking set in. I mean, it's absolutely horrible to hear, but it, it takes out the guesswork and I can remember her calling me, you know, when she got the results as well, it was like, it is, you know, what we talked about, it is cancer and, Um, here's what you do next. Um, and I think at that point they thought it was very, very early, but again, like you said, uh, people, even especially in my situation where it it didn't appear to be any kind of tumor, it was DCIS, which sometimes they don't even recommend any treatment right away. If I had sat on that, um, you know, it would not have been good. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I also found it really interesting, your clarity around choosing a bilateral mastectomy. Again, I've heard so many different, I was really clear and I've always felt good about that decision. And it's really interesting because again, we see people all across the spectrum And I thought it was really awesome that you were like, this is what I'm doing. So I I would love for you to share a little bit more about that and, and how you so clearly came to that decision. Right. For me, I think I've come to understand that it is such a personal decision 
and you could talk to 50 people, 100 people, and even, you know, people that would talk about my own experience, they're like, oh, I can't imagine doing that, or I can't imagine going through that. Um, but then you have other friends that are like, woohoo, let me see your new breasts. Like, you know, so it just runs the, but for me personally, I didn't need them anymore. It, it's not a liver. It's not a heart. I fed my children. My husband was supportive. He didn't care. And to be honest, even if he did, I was still made my own decision. I don't have huge connection i guess in regards to what my body looks like and so for me it was super easy to say let's just take them off i don't need them they have no connection to who i am as a person yeah i love that i would say to people aside from the fact that they're attached to me i'm not that attached to them <laughs> right. <laughs> right yeah and I definitely found people that were really attached to them. Like I would say that I was having surgery and they would like grab their chest and be like, can't they save them? And I'm like, they're trying to kill me. They can go. I don't need them. Right. I do not need them. Right. And I, I mean, it's funny now. I mean, I'll, I'll proudly show like, I mean, they, you can't tell that I had a mastectomy. Um, I did have a, a nipple sparing mastectomy, so I have my nipples. My scars are barely there. I can't even remember what my old breasts look like. So, you know, they're part of me. It is a little bit weird sometimes because they do look different from what they used to look like, especially after breastfeeding right away. But that's what they are. Yeah, I um. And I know this is not everyone's reality. And I know there are a lot of people out there that have a different feeling about mm -hmm. this topic. And I absolutely respect all those varying opinions. I was speaking at an event in January and a friend of mine had commented, she asked if they were fake. And I was like, yes, this is the silver lining of breast cancer. Like, they're always going to be up here. <laughs> and she started laughing. And a lot of other people started laughing as well. And But I'm sure there was that few people in the room that were like, that's not funny. Right. Right. And yeah. I totally get that. But my approach is to find the silver lining and find the things to laugh about. <laughs> yes. Well, and I, and I don't know, I, I haven't figured out, but there's got to be, for the people who choose not to go that route, there's got to be some kind of connection for them that is more, it would cause more grief for them to lose that than to try to keep their breasts. So um, I think it is just such an individual decision. Yes. It is. It's very personal and absolutely the amount of choices that we make on this journey mm -hmm. is staggering. Yes. Absolutely staggering. No, I, I agree. I think the amount of choices that pr are presented, you know, and they give the book to you and the manuals and here's read this book. And I just sort of went with it. Like I didn't, my plastic surgeon, 
at the oh this is a funny story at the end she had to send her um pa back to the office because she had ordered all these sizes and none of them fit so she had to go in her private stock of you know implants that she hadn't used and find one because I guess my chest cavity is so concaved that I needed a bigger implant. And you know, it's like, whatever I, I, this was one thing that in my life I did not try to control. Like you tell me to do it, I'll do it. And I just moved with it. Yeah. It's it's definitely a very interesting experience, and it sounds as though you were very fortunate with your providers as well, which, as was I, that was something that was really smooth for me, and I've been really grateful to them, and I also was really happy to hear you say that your breast surgeon was like, you're going to be with me forever, because I've met so many survivors who haven't seen their breast surgeon in years. Hmm. Or they haven't seen, they've got implants and they haven't seen their plastic surgeon. Yeah. And I'm always a bit taken aback with that. And, and I'll often inquire like, okay, you, my breast surgeon and my plastic surgeon have both said that I'm going to see them every year for the rest of my life. Right. Yeah. I just got moved to the year for my plastic surgeon. And then every three years, you have to have the MRI to make sure the implants are still intact. Yes. And I still see the breast surgeon's um, nurse practitioner every year. Yeah. it's. Um, I'm always really happy when I hear that because I feel like it should be the norm and I feel like it's not always the norm. Right. So one of the other things that we had talked about was just this idea of openness and vulnerability and sharing. I know for me, I always I always feel like I have to kind of process where I am and then share it out. Um, which, of course, when you have a business, as I do, I had to tell people. Before I had surgery, I had to tell people I was having surgery because I was going to be down for a couple of weeks. Right. So that was a really interesting situation. Um, but I would love for you to talk a little bit about kind of what you found to be true for you in sharing this experience. Sure. So my history is that I'm not very open. Um, I have a history of um, trauma in my life and uh i hold that very close to the chest i don't the people closest to me my best friends those people know um some of what i go through on a daily basis breast cancer sucked the life out of me um i would say that it triggered my ptsd and because i was on the tamoxifen i could not take any medications um, so I would say the first two years were extremely difficult. One thing that helped me was that being very open about how I was feeling and what was going on with me. I think that piece of, you know, people sometimes say like breast friends or whatever, but the people that I've met initially, my 
cousin connected me with someone and then a friend connected me with somebody else that had that were my age that had just gone through breast cancer treatments um, and then I got connected with somebody else and I'm part of the Facebook group and those relationships like were so important to me to be able to talk to people who knew what I was going through and just the importance of continuing that I think most survivors want to help other people going through treatment and so you know i live in a small community and there's people that reach out and you know hey so and so was just diagnosed can you talk to that person and cancer is very specific it's not always the exact same diagnosis but there are some similarities and fears that are all very um normal so but those relationships stay with you i still talk to all of these people and i like to believe that because i was 35 and a young mom that broadcasting that i was diagnosed with breast cancer helped someone check on themselves because every single person every doctor you're so young you're so young but it can happen and you just need to take care of yourself and do breast exams. And I just know how important that is. And so there's been so many people that have helped me. Um, and I think that was a very huge time of shift in my life to, I can trust people, you know, people can hold my emotions and people can help me take care of myself. Yeah, that idea of accepting help mm -hmm. is such a big one, mm -hmm. just for the world at large. Um, I think in the time that we're in, living through right now, as you and I are recording this, we're all somewhat, well, we're all supposed to be social distancing. Right. <laughs> and we're, we're on a, a video conference, so we're social distancing. But in this time, there's so much of that coming up, so much of the challenges that we're facing mm -hmm. um, and this whole idea of the new normal. And I think as, as important as it is when we're going through kind of the early stages and making all those choices that we have to make, having people that we can bounce those off of. I remember having a friend that was really struggling finding a plastic surgeon and she would call me and be like, oh my gosh, they want to do this procedure. That seems weird. Is that weird? And, and I could say, yeah, yeah, I think that's weird. Like, that's not what you asked for. Why didn't they just talk to you about what you asked for? Right. But then we get to the other side, like we go through whatever treatment we're going through and we get to the other side. and this whole idea of surviving is just the beginning. It really is. And having that group of people to go back to and be like, having someone that can say, hey, are you okay? Like, what's going on? Mm -hmm. Because often it's when we get to the other side and we're in that like survivorship place that we're like, what is, why am I not bouncing back? Why 
why do I have this bruise on my leg for three weeks? I would never be bruised like this before. Like, right. why can't I do X thing? Like, why am I struggling with this thing that I used to be able to do without thinking about? And we don't have, that's the place where we don't have a manual. Right. There's all kinds of manuals and guidebooks for treatment. Mm-hmm. There you go. Here's the book. Follow the book. But then we get to surviving and there's no manual. Mm-hmm. And we're all just sort of out there. And when we are able to talk about it and ask questions or be witnessed by someone else, I think those are the times that we actually are able to recognize or someone else can recognize something that we might be grappling with that we can't even put words to. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, the first year or two, you're just surviving. You're getting through, you're trying to figure out what's going on and then, then it hits you and it is different and you have to figure out what feels good, what feels safe. Your body is different. Nothing is moving the same. Yeah. Absolutely. And when we're, especially for breast cancer survivors or people that are on like a maintenance regimen of medication, those medications have effects as well. Mm -hmm. And our doctors don't always know what those are or how to guide us. There's starting to be more research around survivorship and supporting survivors because there are 16 million of us. Mm-hmm. And that's just in the United States. 16 right. million. All different kinds of cancer. But we're just finally now here in 2019, 2020, really starting to look at what we can do to better support survivors and help people kind of make that transition. Mm -hmm. So I love that that is something that you have really found to be helpful Mm -hmm. and important. I think that whole idea of, of help and being supported and being supported by a community of, of like-minded like experienced people, right. I think makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, Katie, for being here with me today and for sharing your story and your truths in relation to your cancer experience. Thank we appreciate you. it. Thank you, Katie, for sharing your story. There were so many great topics. One of my favorite topics is around personal choices of surgeries and treatments. When we feel so confident in our choice, we can more easily roll with what comes. So often I see people wanting to keep control on everything around them because cancer feels so outside of our control. That idea of releasing the need to control the situation is so freeing. Also, the ability to be available and open to others, whether it's allowing others to support us, lending support or knowing that there's a community to tap into when we need it. Connection to others is one of those fundamental needs that we're not always present to knowing that we need. 
across all cancer, but breast cancer especially, educating young people, really all women, and encouraging them to stay current on screenings is so important and really can save lives with early detection. I know we focus on breast cancer awareness in October, but really, breast cancer awareness is every day. That's our episode for this week. I'll be back on August 19th when my guest will be Bonnie McBee sharing her unspoken cancer truths. I hope you'll listen in. In the meantime, I would love to see you in the Facebook group. Surviving is just the beginning. Thanks for listening and have a great week.